0: Welcome to The Sky with Spiral, a self-improvement and productivity podcast. I'm David Whitechapel. I'm a fiction writer and a content creator and a forever student of productivity wisdom. And this is Brent Heeres. I'm a productivity coach.
1: And the main thing that I do is focus on sustainable, high-level productivity, studying it as a subject and developing a body of work around it and uh, moving as deeply as possible into this concept and as a lived reality.
0: Brent we're back we're
1: back man
0: it's been a long time it's season two <laughs> it's season two everybody oh it's been so long oh I'm so stoked I'm yeah so stoked. me too I'm really excited yeah so we did get some people asking you know when are we when are we coming back and the answer is you know we, we basically time it for the end of the year so that's right yeah, yeah <laughs> I guess we're doing one of these a year but um we are back it's been a long time um how have you been Brent?
1: Oh, I've been I've been good I've been good it's been a good year a lot of development so I moved I moved to a smaller Ontario town and we got a house so now I'm a house guy and my wife is pregnant with our first child we're gonna have a girl next January wow 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 that is
0: huge yeah that is yeah. huge life-changing stuff I'm so happy for you that's all oh, so cool yeah,
1: it's like, it, it's been quite a year in this regard. A lot of adulthood has just hit me like a ton of bricks. It's like like learning how to have a home, learning how to, it's like, okay, do I need to fix the roof? How do I resuscitate a lawn? You know, how do I fix things? How do I put up drywall? It's like all this stuff I've never gotten into before. So it's been, it's been very intense. It's been very much a dive into the deep end of this stuff. To say nothing of preparing for a child, like how do you, how do you keep a baby alive? I don't know. Of so course, we yeah. started from the ground up. Maybe <laughs>
0: you should start another podcast, friend. I should. <laughs> yeah.
1: yeah how about yourself, man? Yeah, how have you been?
0: Yeah, I've also been good, actually. Like it's been up and down. So I mean, you know, we're recording this in 2021, and historically, this will be known as the second year and hopefully the last year of the pandemic, the worldwide pandemic. uh So yeah. you know, it's been up and down here in London. um We're uh, as of recording this, uh, we're we're opening up again and. I'm finally getting out and doing things that I used to do two years ago uh, yeah. uh, that I've forgotten how to do, socialize and meet people and, you know, uh, go to bars or, or whatever, events and things. Um, and that, that's that been great. I, I thrive off that stuff. And I was very sort of bereft without those things in my life. So it's it's really nice to have that back. And then in terms of um, productivity and, and my writing work and my creative work, again, that's also been up and down. Like, in theory, you know uh, the lockdowns and stuff getting being stuck in the house should be great for a writer. but as I probably said last season, um it, it didn't work for me like that. I need to sort of get out and go to different places and work in different places. But as of recently, when London sort of opened up again, it's been going well. I've been able to get stuff done, and there's been another change which I'm actually going to talk about in today's episode uh, that has been a big change in my life as well so. Yeah, awesome. recently pretty good. And I'm really excited to be doing this again. Same. Yeah, I've been, I've been looking
1: forward to it. Like I have moments in my life where like I'm going about maybe having sessions or discussions about productivity and self-help and this kind of stuff. And I've been sort of like unconsciously keeping a little bit of a tally or a sort of a, a, a clipboard of like stuff that I'd like to bring up in this second season and how this might unfold. So it's, uh, it's been on my mind ever since.
0: Yeah, absolutely. I do the same thing because I like to read about productivity stuff even outside of the podcast. And sometimes okay. I read about something or I'm, I'm trying to work something into my routine and I think, I wonder what Brent's take on this is, you know? Mm-hmm. And now I get to hear it. <laughs> <laughs> Fantastic. <laughs> All right, so I proposed the topic for today and uh, you can see from the episode title, the topic of the day is focus. And yeah. the reason I chose this topic is because it's been a huge issue of mine for years now this problem of like how do i focus uh brent we've talked about it many times before and uh you know i've always struggled with it and just recently i had a huge game changer in how i look at it on two different levels so i wanted to talk about that today so the big game changer this year is that uh, early on in the year i started looking into something i hadn't looked into before to do with my problems of focus and that was to see a psychiatrist about the possibility of me having ADHD uh, or more properly ADD. So ADHD stands for attention deficit hyperactive disorder and um, ADD is without the hyperactive. And I'd always heard about ADHD. I've known people with ADHD even at school. I remember sort of knowing what it was tangentially. And my impression of people with ADHD was always, you know, the kids bouncing off the walls, etc. that very hyperactive element of it so to come around this year and be exploring that in myself i found very weird at first because i'm like i one thing i know about myself is i'm not hyperactive like i'm not completely zen and chill but i'm not like bouncing off the walls like i've seen other kids do like not as a child or anything but as i went through exploring this more with uh with the psychiatrist and we sort of went into my childhood and we talked to my parents and everything the more it seemed like there was an attention problem there that I hadn't really realized because I was able to, uh, sort of cope with it through other means, you know, at school, you've got a strict, um, discipline, a strict kind of uh, routine and things. And mm-hmm. I was able to sort of pull through that and, and get results without handling the attention problem that was there at the same time. Anyway, I kept, uh, going through the system for this. And in the end, um, I was able to uh, get a diagnosis of ADD and and now I'm on medication for it. So I wanted to say a bit about that because I've been on medication for it for a little bit now and it has been a huge change to me in that I am now able to apply myself differently to tasks of concentration and and to hold um, that stamina for concentration Mm -hmm. much better than before. Uh, so the way I wanted to frame this, I don't want to say, okay, if you're listening to this and you have trouble with focus, you have ADHD. That's definitely not what I want to say because it may well not be true. But up top, I wanted to point out that if you look into discussions of, you know, on forums and stuff about, uh, people who think that they're lazy, a lot of the times in the, in the responses, you'll see that people suggest Have you considered that there could be a psychiatric problem underlying this thing? It could be depression, it could be anxiety, or it could be ADHD. Sometimes these things present as laziness, right? To people Mm. observing you, or to people, even the person themselves can think, I'm an incredibly lazy person. And sometimes it's a psychiatric thing. So for me, this was a huge discovery this year. And I also just wanted to say, that doesn't mean that the problem is solved. There's a neurochemical element to these things for some people. And it turns out there is for me. But there's also a psychological element, and I'm still working on that for myself. And that's the that's the sort of more important part we're going to talk about today is the sort of psychology and methodology of how to apply focus as long as your neurochemistry is you know is all good, right? So yeah, sorry, Brent, I hit you with a whole wall of information there, but that was my latest revelation from this year. Yeah, it's
1: beautiful. A lot of people I talk to, it, it's a very common thing where somebody will not get a whole lot of work done, or they'll end up inadvertently wasting a lot of time, despite knowing better, despite not wanting to waste time. You know, They end up on YouTube or playing games, and they will look back on how they spent that time, and they will conclude that they're being lazy, or they'll conclude that they're not motivated enough, or they're not trying hard enough, And then what they'll do is they will look for like old school motivational posters, motivational quotes, the sort of stuff that would say like, just do it, just do it. But the problem is that, you know, whereas there is such a thing as laziness, it's the term laziness is misapplied because what you'll find is that like in your case, you know, as you've been discovering in yourself and with other people, there's tons of motivation. There's intense motivation. And in fact, If anything, the problem is that there's so much motivation, but there's just so much of a grinding of the gears to a halt that it makes it impossible to actually do the work. And so sometimes sometimes the answer is to actually bring down the levels of motivation just so that the gears can just properly
0: start turning again. It's kind of an interesting counterintuitive idea. Right, right. And we were talking uh, outside of the podcast about how it's possible that a lot of people with uh, ADHD and, and similar things, even with depression, are drawn to uh, product productivity and, and such ideas, right? Because they're looking mm-hmm. to figure out these intractable problems in their life that they can't seem to get a grip on. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and that's not, in this case, their fault, right? That This is, or, or it can be solved um, by other means first, and then it can be attacked by you know, these methodologies and stuff.
1: Right, right. Uh, a major, major victory, you know, even as we go through these different methods, these different ways of solving the problem, you know, for people that bludgeon themselves with this accusation of I'm lazy, I'm a failure, I'm unmotivated, it tends not to be a helpful message. It tends to only make things worse. It's like we can find the solution to unlocking productivity in ourselves by letting go of that, by letting go of it as an accusation and even letting go of it as a term. It's not even a really it's not a useful one to like, you know, to call yourself lazy, to accuse yourself of being lazy or to try not to be lazy. It's just not a useful term anymore, I find.
0: Yeah, I totally agree. I totally agree. I guess fundamentally it's anecdotal for me. It's people I've met and, and, you know, things I've read, but almost always it seems that laziness is attributable to something else. That there's something else going on. There's a deeper root to the problem. You know, it's not simply, um, you know, idleness for the sake of idleness, sort of bloody-minded idleness. It's, right. it's either, you know, something that the person wants to do that they're not able to do, or it could be, you know, uh, an issue with how they're being asked to do something, you know, being forced to do something, or it could be, you know, other, other sort of constricting factors on them, anxieties, etc.
1: Right. And so the way to actually inquire into it and actually figure out what's what like in order to actually get to the bottom of whatever this is, because it could be one of a hundred different things, neurochemical or or psychological, inner stuff, outer stuff, environmental, a combination of all of these things. But like, it's not, it's not known. So when we, when we lift off this disrespectful accusation of, I'm just being lazy, I'm just being a lazy asshole. We replace it with respect. And instead of just constantly bemoaning which which is like what a lot of people do. I don't think this is what you do, David, but just like, you know, this sort of like, instead of really bemoaning our laziness, we turn it into a question of like, why am I doing this? Why am I spending my time this way? And we kind of approach it with respect and we approach it with a sort of openness of like, what messages am I ignoring from myself that I can start listening to, whereby if I were to start listening to them and heeding them, I could actually follow my own lead and figure out how to unwind myself so that I can open up my channels of productivity once again.
0: Yeah. I mean, actually you say that, uh, it, that I haven't done that, but I have done that, Brent. I have been mm. my laziness. And for me, it's been a journey of, of, um, you know, going from saying, Oh, I, why am I so lazy to asking exactly what you're saying? You know, what is the deeper issue here? And, and that's, right. that's taken me on a, on a long journey across years uh, to finally, you know, and I'm sure it's, it's not even done yet. I, I still think, that I've got this sort of unhelpful psychology about, about certain tasks and certain commitments, which we'll probably talk about another week, actually. Uh, like, I think I've got a level of fear about certain things that is, is purely a psychological thing that I need to work through. Right. And in the end, all of, all of what we are is a combination of these things. It's our brains and it's, you know, our thoughts and it's our bodies. And I think you're, you're dead on. The project isn't just to beat yourself up when you think you're doing the wrong thing or or when you're sort of not achieving what you want to achieve the project is to to look a little deeper and see if you can figure out you know what those root issues are what that maybe you didn't consider at first
1: right right and amping up the respect self respect it's like you know like if the car breaks down and you're like what the hell this piece of shit and you'd like try to get in there and fix it it's like no 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 man it's like this is your car this is what's this is what's taking you on the journey it's like let's approach with respect let's slow down Let's take the time we need to figure this out. And however long it takes to figure this out, well, then that's good. Like that's that's what it takes and we don't complain. Yeah, absolutely.
0: Okay, so to bring us back to the central topic today of focus, specifically, you know, the sort of psychology and methodology of focus. So once your brain chemistry is all in order, once you're, you know, you should be ready to go, like how do we achieve focus and get focus work done? So in relevance to this, I've been reading this book Deep Work by Cal Newport. I think you've heard of this, right, Brent? It's an excellent book. Yes, I've read it. It's awesome. Yeah, I can also recommend it. I think it's a great read. I'm not quite done with it, but um, well, actually, something I really liked about it, I always like when I look up the author of one of these self-help or productivity books, which I always do, by the way, and you'll see why, and I see, oh, look, this person is legit. Like They're doing things. They're applying their productivity to themselves, and they're getting things done. And in this case, Cal Newport is a professor of computer science and he is actively he's he's not only producing these um you know popular textbooks about aspects of 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 productivity and work and stuff but he's also actively teaching lecture classes in computer science and got his phd and everything you know so i i've got a lot of respect for that his credentials are right there to be seen and i always appreciate that But yeah, so the focus of the book Deep Work is, is as you might guess, Deep Work, which is a, a concept that uh, Cal Newport has come up with, or a, a nomenclature he's come up with to describe basically kind of an intensive work or study with, with a deep focus, right? So, so it is essentially about focus. Mm-hmm. And he kind of uh, talks about it on a couple of fronts. Basically, he explains the concept of what Deep Work is, why it is useful, has historically been useful, and is going to be... Even more useful in the future as a sort of divisor between um, people who can really thrive in a a future society and and those who are like going to be less well off essentially because they're not doing that deep work. Yeah, and also he talks a little bit about you know how do we make deep work possible for ourselves? And and I I think he's completely on the money there, like both in the sense that this is a real thing that you can see uh, applied and it can be differentiated from other kinds of work, and also in the sense that it is very. Uh, it is very much a thing that you can construct a space to make this thing happen for yourself. Yeah, and he gives some examples of of people who've done this before. Like one of his examples early on in the book is Carl Jung, um, built building this sort of residence for himself where he can just get away and and write. You know, and and it's a dedicated space exactly for that. So I thought that was really really interesting.
1: You know uh, who's another one? Are you familiar with this writer, Haruki Murakami? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So what I'm about to share is secondhand, or perhaps even thirdhand. So I heard somebody talking about somebody talking about it. So I don't even know if this is necessarily correct. But I think the essence of it is here, where um, where he, at a certain point, he decided he wanted to become a writer. It was uh, relatively later on in his life, I think kind of closer to, towards his 40s, and, and he started writing... And what he would do is he would wake up at 4 a.m. in the morning, every morning, uh, seven days a week, as far as, I, as far as I understand, and he begins a writing block from four until nine. And then after nine, so that's five solid hours of writing, he might have something to eat a little bit, and then he would go for a run, and then he would run long distance until somewhere in the early afternoon, and after which he'd come back home and like listen to some music and chill, and then just go through the whole thing again. And, and what, and his comment on this was that his lifestyle of writing this book, especially when he's in book writing mode, is that it forms a sort of mesmerism and due to the structure of it and the regularity of it, and combined with the fact that it's deep work, which means it's focused on a single thing at a time, a single objective, and just kind of coming at it again and again, just like Jung, he's able to go deeper and deeper. And deeper into his work. he's able, and in a way, in a strange way, he's moving even deeper into his unconscious. There's a greater widening channel of access of communication between the conscious and unconscious parts of our mind. And he's able to pull out this sort of quality of his work. And if you know if you've read, if any of the listeners have read to his stuff, it can be really kind of it's kind of like a kind of a very interesting sort of fragrance to it. It's very, very um, it's kind of surreal and kind of cool. And so you have, you get through regularity and ritual and deep work. You can pull on just like amazing, amazing inner resources. So it's another
0: testament. Yeah, I love that. I have, I had heard about um, Murakami uh, running a lot. I have I think I read an article about, by him once about, about exactly about running. I was going to say, uh, coming into that, actually, like for writing, for creativity, for what I do, this kind of deep work is super, super important. I've always made... A priority to try and set myself the time, even you know during the periods when I couldn't focus. My aim was to set aside these blocks of time where I could just yeah. sink into the project, you know, really like get deep into it, you know, yeah. just uh, in terms of writing fiction, like just just lose myself in that world. And it's not even about how much you get done; it's about being in that place, exploring it, and getting getting what you get done. Like in that kind of state, which sort of ties into flow, which we've talked about before. I only mm-hmm. see what I've done sort of after, after I've done it, you know, <laughs> at the time, it's just sinking into that world and, uh, and um, living it. Beautiful. Yeah.
1: Yeah. It's such a mature idea of focus, right? Because we think about focus usually as just like, all right, just focus, like just, er, like, you know, you're, you're reading a book or something and, you're, and, and, and the old school way of it is like when you're just trying to get through, you're like. You you have work to do. You have homework or something. It's like focus on your homework, and it's like oh, you're just trying to get to the other side. This is a whole other kind of focus where there's a sense of of losing everything, letting go of everything, and just going really really deep into what you're doing. And like and with this sense of play, I really like that. It's an upgraded idea of what focus is.
0: Yeah, I, I, and I think it's it's crucial to what I do, right? To creative work, I think so. The book had me on board straight away because I was like, this is what this is what I do or what I want to do. He makes this point as well, like that the best quality work requires deep work. He's he's pitching to a broader spectrum of people, you know, entrepreneurs and uh, business people, et cetera, where this deep work is also important. And I would say also it can be um, creatively important in those fields as well, right? Mm-hmm. But certainly it's important to what I do. I will say as well, though, he sort of sets up this paradigm of, deep work versus shallow work where he says anyone can do shallow work and shallow work's not that important Mm -hmm. um and i kind of disagree with that actually so i had a kind of different take on that which i'm gonna flesh out more over time i'm gonna write something up on this or something but for me shallow work is very important because i do a kind of shallow work it's certainly not deep work where i'm flittering around between different ideas and and you know like a like a bee visiting flowers i'm 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 picking up bits of information here and there and floating between uh, topics and ideas uh, in sort of free-form research and reading. And for me, that is a, an enormously generative creative space. So when I'm coming up with new ideas for for stories and, and things I want to make, that is the space that I like to be in. That's my perfect floating, like, free-form creative space. So... Hmm. I think shallow work also has its place and and that's less about focus that's more in a way it's it's deliberately unfocused work it's like a magic eye picture or something where you're deliberately unfocusing your eyes and you're you're gliding around so I don't really have a word for this or a name for it but I, I do think there's a there's a, a twin to this idea of deep work um, that's also mm-hmm. important to the creative process specifically.
1: Yeah, it wouldn't necessarily be realistic to expect to do nothing except deep work only. Mm-hmm. There are just like, it's not like, like if you're doing deep work, you're just focusing for extended periods of time on a single thing. But it's not like as human beings, we have only one thing to do. We we have like a hundred things to do. So turning, so having, being able to do a bunch of things quickly or a bunch of things simultaneously and, or, or multitasking it's um, there's a whole other kind of flow that can come on for that. That's equally valuable. And, and there's an equal sort of amount of creativity that can come on. Like you can find a creative sort of flow um, like experience for doing a bunch of things, multitasking, kind of staying on the surface level. And it pairs nicely with having periods of time, like, a, like one or two or three hours of deep work daily. I think even Cal Newport says like I haven't read it recently, but i don't i don't i think he says that it's not like it's even possible to spend f- more than three hours doing deep work
0: right right, yeah, um, unless is. you found differently no no, no he yeah, it's definitely a limited it's a limited thing that you have to make time for you and and we're human beings, we can't sustain that kind of inhuman method of working for you know that long, right like it's right. it's specifically something that you make time for to be deliberate about, but we, we're not machines in that fashion, right? Yeah. Right, right. And I was going to say the other important thing about deep work, which I think he also hits upon um, somewhat, is that having a deep understanding, this is more about sort of deep study, I guess, but having a deep understanding of something gives you uh, confidence in that, in that subject as well, or in that craft you can there's a very big difference between doing something where you don't fully where you're not fully confident in what you're doing and and doing it with full confidence that you understand the process and the tools that you're working with etc and i think that's also huge in 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 many different disciplines right like that confidence i i remember being in situations in 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 university and in in jobs and stuff where i don't feel like i don't know what i'm doing and it's just Mm -hmm. a horrible sort of weird situation to be in where you're you're executing on things that you don't fully understand or whatever um and comparing that to situations where i i feel like an expert which you know have happened more rarely for me i suppose but those situations feel you know one has real power and real agency to be to be in control of um the situation and and real confidence in yourself right so i think that's another great thing that you can only get from deep study deep work
1: Can I offer just a quick thing? Because this reminds me a little bit of the subject of imposter syndrome Mm
0: -hmm.
1: and um, a really kind of nice, clean workaround for this kind of thing in terms of seeing yourself as an expert and seeing yourself as an authority. It it comes down to trusting. It really comes down to trusting in yourself and trusting in who you are and trusting in the circumstances that led to where you are. Like, for example, like back when I like first started coaching, I would have an intro session with somebody and I'd talk with them and they'd teach me about where they're at. And I would say like, okay, broadly speaking, here's what you need to do. And here's what it would be like to work together. And it's like, okay, great, 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 you know, all set. And then they pay me, they hire me. And then, and then I would start freaking out. That's when I go into my imposter syndrome of like, oh my God, I'm a fraud. I don't know what I'm doing, all this stuff. But it's like, but I wouldn't have entered into this situation were I not prepared for it. I wouldn't have accepted this person's money and gotten into it if I were not prepared for it. And and sometimes somebody will look at us and hire us or bring us on board as, as an expert to speak on something because they see it in us. They're like, yeah, this person, I want this person to speak. and. We can, be, we can be in such a habit of doubting ourselves and diminishing ourselves that, that we're unwilling to accept that the circumstances are rather perfect, that we do in fact belong in these circumstances. So there's an element of trust here, where, we, where it's like we can end up in these circumstances where we are gonna teach or speak or coach, or we're gonna do something, And to really give ourselves to the situation with this knowledge of, I wouldn't be here if I didn't belong here. And so the more we move into that trust, the more the imposter syndrome can kind of fade away. And the more we can, um, you know, not like uh, choke or like, you know, kind of um, collapse under the pressure of the circumstances, but instead just allow the value to flow. Does that speak to what you're talking about?
0: Yeah, absolutely. That's super relevant because uh, it's, Yeah. The imposter syndrome thing is kind of like at the, at the, um, edge where you can start having that confidence, but you have to realize your own understanding and knowledge is there, right? You have to appreciate. And like you said, trust yourself in that sense. Right.
1: And, and to, I'm so sorry. And to
0: see the difference between
1: like you and your mind and, and all of this that you've become, it like that, like there's who you are and what you've done and what you've been through and everything, you know, and everything that's native to you. you, you, you can look at all of that and be like, like, yes, all that's there. I trust all of that and allow that to do the work for you. Like, if you're a musician and you're playing a song for somebody, it's not like you have to entertain them yourself. It's like you just sit down and play the song and know that the song is good, the song is enough, and they'll like the song. And you just focus on playing the song instead of trying to make the audience happy.
0: Yeah, exactly. But And the point I wanted to make, though, is that even if if you feel the imposter syndrome, which is false, right, and you, you, you have to trust yourself and figure out that that's false... To get to that point where you can be confident in the music that you're playing, essentially, you need to have put in the deep work, right? Before that. True. And getting through imposter syndrome is is an appreciation that you have put that work in, right? But my point is that you need to get to that stage of confidence and to appreciate that level of confidence. True. The depth needs to be there to back it up beforehand. True. Awesome. Yeah. Okay. So that's the book, Deep Work, which we can both recommend and I'll link it in the description. Uh, it's well worth reading. And he talks about a lot of other stuff as well, but it is obviously related to focus. This this deep work uh, concept requires focus, at least, if nothing else, right? The, the idea of going into depth, into into this kind of work or study, you need focus in order to do that. So what is focus, right? I mean, we all have a naive idea about what focus is. So I tried to boil it down and my uh, definition of focus or my simple one-line understanding of focus is that focus is freedom from distraction nice does does that track for you Brent
1: yeah I'm just marinating in that
0: (laughs) (laughs) yeah so focus is freedom from distraction now I wrote a whole thing about distraction but it's actually too long to go through today Uh, and we can do another episode on it I was thinking so like I, I was I was just going through like what is distraction you know what different kinds of distraction are there and and there's a lot, but it's too much to talk about in along with, with the main ideas of this episode. It's a lot. Yeah, it's juicy, though. It's a juicy subject.
1: I would wonder, like, that's, we have sort of like the negative definition. It's like freedom from distraction. Would you have an accompanying positive definition for what it is?
0: <laughs> that is a good question. I didn't have one here, but it's, I guess the positive definition is the deep work definition, right?
1: Yeah, yeah. Like, for me, I'd say one-pointedness.
0: Yes, okay.
1: Attention on one point for a sustained period of time.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah, I think that tracks, sure. Nice. Yeah, the, it is the flip side of the distraction thing because a, a distraction obviously introduces another point of interest. And so freedom from the distraction then reduces you to that one pointedness that you're talking about.
1: Right. Mm hmm.
0: We'll talk about distraction more another time. I'll keep my notes on that, and we can we can discuss you know all the different panoply of distractions. I mean, the important thing is you know, listener, and you, Brent, and me. Mm-hmm. We know what distracts us. Like we know what our distractions are. We have some ideas of what distracts us, and focus should be about um, handling those things.
1: Yeah, skillfully handling it and becoming good at recognizing. Um, there's, there's a term in my world that I've been uh, really enjoying lately called bamboozlery. So recognizing bamboozlery, which is just like when, like, you know, for example, if the house is on fire, like, yeah, that's a distraction, but you better go and do it. Right. But there's a lot of distractions that come up that are, that's really just a part of us that's, that's trying to slow down the process of our growth and success. And it's, it's not grounded in anything. It's just like a part of us that's trying to not focus. And it comes in the form of like distractions that are false and not really real or important, even though they present themselves as important. So becoming masterful at recognizing the difference and treating them accordingly.
0: That's cool. And that's a really fun name you picked for it as well. I like that. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Bamboozlery. Mm-hmm. I-, I can definitely think of things like that. So just time wasters yeah. basically, right?
1: Right, right, right. And, and, but it's, it's, there's something like, it's like whenever the mind speaks to us, it always speaks in terms of urgency and like never again. So like, it's, you know, a really, really fun way of demonstrating this for ourselves is it, like, suppose you're working on something you're writing or, or, you know, are doing whatever. And then like, like a distraction comes up in the form of like, Oh, I need to check this out or I need to figure this out or look at this, um, have a second document open to just write it down so we can get to it after. And just, and whenever a distraction comes up, write down the distraction so you can tend to it later. And then go through the deep work session, come to the end of it and look at the list of things to do, and you'll find all of it was just bullshit. <laughs> or like, or like almost all of it. It's like like to check, like, like, oh, I have to look at this music video that I saw as a kid or something. You know, it's it's stuff that like feels so important when it comes up, or it feels like it's so permissible, like, oh yeah, like a, I'll just take a minute just to listen to the song and I'll get right back. It's like, no, 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 that's all bamboozlery.
0: So it, that's about learning how to recognize that, right? That's right.
1: That's right. You know, being, again, we come at this re- with respect, like respect being the big, big chorus of, of, of developing focus and, and coming out of distraction. It's like, you know, when, it, when bamboozlery comes up, like, you know, i.e. something that presents as important, but is not in fact important whatsoever. Like we can look at it. It always presents itself as an invitation, It's always like, you know, it will say, hey, come with me, come look at this, come do this thing. You have to do this thing. It comes as really intense messaging, but at the very, if you, if you really, really slow down and look at it, it's always an invitation that can be declined or accepted. And so we develop this capacity to recognize it as an invitation and decline the invitation. And that's, that's the, uh, that's an onset of a new level of self-control and focus.
0: Cool. Yeah, that's awesome. Yeah,
1: that's my take on bamboozlery.
0: <laughs> cool. Okay. So, yeah, so we've got a definition of focus and we've got a, you know, a naive definition of distraction, which we will flesh out more another time. So now the question is how to focus, right? How do we focus? How do we bring focus into our lives and into our work, our creative work, whatever, wherever nice. we need it. So I actually saw this as this um, there being two projects here, two possible projects one's harder than the other right there's the idea of creating a space and an environment where you can always focus i.e mm-hmm. you have this place this sort of temple of focus you go there and you focus right and the other project is is developing yourself your mind your your body whatever to to be such that you can snap into focus in any spot so you're not constrained by having to be in the temple of focus you can be on a park bench and you can snap into focus, or you can be in a coffee shop, or a school, or a, a, I don't know, a hospital, and you can snap into focus. You, you develop that kind of, you know, mental skill set to be able to do that. Awesome. So yeah, the 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 latter is harder, right? You, it's that skill of being able to to work anywhere, to focus anywhere. That's not easy. And I'll confess, I cannot do it. <laughs> I'm very very particular about my writing space, about the spaces that I can get creative work done. And so my focus projects over the last few years and and continue to be about creating spaces and finding spaces that work for me and then doing my best to sort of make time to visit and maximize use of those spaces. Can I give this back to you? Because I don't think I've ever actually heard this distinction
1: before. It's pretty cool. I've never encountered this. So you're saying that there's like kind of two um modes of cultivating focus or cultivating our ability to focus one being to have a station to have a place an environment yeah the temple Um, temple a temple nice (laughs) nice and and to make it into like like a spatial temple in terms of like here's where it's located it's in my office it's in my bedroom it's in my co-working space but also are we also including a time of day where yeah like, absolutely
0: know, yeah we like
1: could be or
0: 4am and exactly it's whatever is necessary to inculcate that environment of focus right
1: dope yeah and then and then because you allocate focus to this this period of time this point of space this temple like the focus can go deeper and deeper and deeper because you can like just get used to it and, and just kind of reinforce it and turn it into a feedback loop of more and more focus. And that's how you can like really get to the juice. But then there's this other quality of cultivating the ability to focus outside of the temple. And that's like a whole different thing Mm -hmm. and like getting good at that too, which is much more tricky. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. And there's like in like different ways of going about either school
0: right yeah and I was just you know I'm sure that distinction has been thought of by someone because I was just thinking about how do we access this thing this focus thing and there is a way to do it where it's really about working on yourself it's nothing environmental right you just sort of harden yourself to everything or in near yourself to any distraction and Mm -hmm. you have this kind of you know iron skin and no distraction can penetrate it you know it's something like that it's like a it's, it's, it's an impenetrable wall of focus that you're able to just throw up, which again, I do not have, but I, it's conceivable that this skill is possible. And I suspect some people have it, you know, there are people who can just sort of, um, who can work on a commute and there are people who can't right? like on a train or on a yeah. bus or something. Yeah. Uh, and there are people who can, uh, who can work while they're on holiday or get productive work done while they're on holiday and other people who can't, et cetera. Right. So I, I was just sort of curious what the distinction is there. Is that something that can be developed? I would say, in general, for people in sort of stable situations, as in they're not traveling around a lot, and they're um, they have somewhat of a you know stable uh, home and environment, etc. The first project is a much more doable one, and I at least know how to do it. Like you build and you find these well temples as we're calling them of focus, and and you develop them to. To be what you need out of them, right? To to fulfill your sort of focus requirements. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Yeah. Uh, as for the latter thing, I think that's it's possible, but I don't know exactly. I, I'd have to look into it more and maybe speak to some people who've done that kind of thing.
1: Yeah, it kind of feels more to me like if I'm out of my my habitual environment, if I'm out of like my my temple. Then it's like, wherever I am at, like, and it does happen where it's like, okay, like I have a session, but I'm traveling over to where my parents live, or we're going to go like, I was on vacation on Halifax lately. And it just worked out that I needed to work with a group and it was like going to be on the weekend. And so, you know, in that, you know, when that happens, I just, it's almost like I create a stand in temple. Like I just, I create, Mm -hmm. like, I try to recreate the environment as faithfully as I possibly can. Um, most notably creating an environment where there'll be no external distractions, like that being the most important thing. So like letting Jessica know, for example, I, I'm going to need the hotel room. <laughs> so yeah. I need you to go walk around while I use the room right. for an hour and, um, and like silencing my phone and so forth. Um, there's also like when, we, when we have like our focus space, like our temple, and we're really, really in it. We can, I believe we're also just developing our focus, our capacity to focus at all. And so the better we get at focusing, like, like say, in the dojo, you know, which is to say under, like, the perfect, perfect, perfect conditions, the more we can take them out into the wild and the more we can access it there. Yeah, yeah,
0: I agree. It's like training, right?
1: Exactly, yeah.
0: Yeah, I think that's cool. What you said as well about, so there's a, a concept of a sort of makeshift temple, or there's an ability to be able to recreate the temple elsewhere. And I was thinking, I guess you can also kind of have some notion of a portable temple. Like if you use your laptop and, you know, as long as you're sitting in a certain space and you have a mug of coffee to go with, with you, you can, you can write whatever you want to write or email, do the emails that you want to do. Right. Right. In that sense, you can obviously construct that at a hotel or at your parents or wherever. Right.
1: Right. 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 And I sometimes do. And then, and then as I continue to focus, even if there is, even if my ability to focus like outside of my temple is diminished, it's not really noticeably diminished. Like as long as it's like, if it's down to 80%, like as long as it's above 50%, I can still deliver the job. I can still do the work.
0: Yeah. Right. Right. And that, I I guess that is your, um, that's your experience of training your focus, right? Paying off. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah, Right. 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 I I quite like how (laughs) delineated it is now. I feel like we really, we really hammered it out into something really uh, concrete there, which I like. Yeah. So, yeah, this idea of the uh, of the kind of sacred space of the temple, I think, is really important. It's important for me. I kind of have, well, I can tell you about my working environments. I have um, my sort of home office space that I've got with my desktop computer. And I sort of know what I'm doing here. I know the kinds of work I can do. It's got um, multiple screens, so I, I can make use of that. I also have a, a laptop that is portable. And I, I, I have a desk that I use at home. Um and I've got like a desk set up downstairs in a sort of nice, well lit room during the daytime and mm-hmm. uh where, where I put a chair sort of tucked in the corner and it's a comfortable, appealing space for me to work as well. So those are the sort of two spots in the house I use, the office and the sort of nook. And then I have a cafe that is sort of my favourite cafe to go to and <laughs> some of this stuff is not is subconscious or something, you know, there's there's things that I like about cafes and there's things that I don't, I guess. And this one yeah. fulfills the criteria. It fulfills the criteria I'm conscious of, like having plug sockets and the coffee being nice enough and you know being near near enough to walk to, but also just the ambiance and the vibe or whatever works for me. I I've got to know the people who work there and I chat to them sometimes. Things like that. And I like background coffee shop noise. So so that also really works for me as a as a space. It doesn't mean that like It doesn't mean I'll do every piece of work there. For example, if I want to edit the podcast, sometimes I'll want to do that at home and sometimes I'll want to go to a coffee shop to do that. So there's different kinds of work that I'll want to do in different places as well. So I I bear that in mind as well. Beautiful. But also, yeah, so how to focus in general. Uh, You you build this temple, and obviously the temple is designed to be free from distractions. And you also, like, there's some other uh, elements to this as well, right? So you set aside this time to work in the temple. It's not just constructing the temple. You also need to decide when are you going to work there and what are you going to work on, right?
1: Excellent, right. Yeah, clear objectives.
0: Yeah, so that, that's exactly what I was going to come to, yeah. So the, I think the other important element of focus, uh, which is really inescapable, is you need to know what you're doing because it is equally unfocused, even if you're free of distraction, to not know what you're doing because you're going to be scrabbling around trying to figure out how to even get started on this nebulous project. That you, don't, that you haven't clearly defined. So mm. having a clearly defined project going into the temple, per se, um, is, is crucial, right? Having a clearly defined project and having a clearly defined sort of goal, um, it doesn't mean that you'll finish the goal in that space of time that you set yourself, but it mm. does mean that you can watch yourself progress towards that goal very clearly. Like in the case of me as a writer, if I'm mm. writing new prose, something very easy to keep track of is a word count right mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. um uh, or if i'm just idea generating then i can sort of keep track of how many pages of notes that i'm creating mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. in in other fields it'll be other things but it's very good to be able to set yourself something that's very that's very concrete you know i'm going to do this thing for this long and then it's even better if at the end of that session you're able to gauge exactly where you got to with that goal very important to keep these
1: two activities separate. These are two separate things. There's one moment that's for leadership. There's one moment where you have altitude on where you're going, where the whole ship is headed and what you need to be done and what you need to do so that if you did it, it would actually move you towards success in some way. Like it would actually move the needle in a substantial way where everything's on track and moving forward. And that's distinct from this period of time when it's time to actually execute the plan and actually do what we said we're going to do. If there's no distinction there, if there's no discernment, then what will end up happening is we'll kind of just show up and say, okay, I'm just going to work on my novel. I'm just going to work on my film. I'm just going to do this. And, and, and we'll come up with some sort of stuff that's like kind of just busy work, but doesn't really move the needle. Um, generally, the tasks that will move the needle and create actual measurable success in the direction that we want to go in, almost always this kind of work will put us out of our comfort zone. It will be the stuff that we would be inclined to procrastinate on and figure a way to get ourselves out of doing it, and so and so that's why it's important to have this leadership of like getting clear on what it is we need to do and then making sure that we do that and not something else instead.
0: Yeah, that's really cool. That's a really good point, Brent. I, I didn't bring that up, but yeah, that's a that's a very important point. Actually, I read something once which I meant to take in and sort of uh, make into my own version of it. It was uh, it was advice for writers, and it was talking about how you have these sort of four stages of different people in the room and you want, you want like the early stages of writing, you want the person who's just going to sort of generate new material in this sort of mad Mm -hmm. frenzy and not really care what it is. And then you want like this craftsman to come in after and sort of sculpt it and actually make it into something. And then you want a judge to come in after it's, it's something like that. So the idea that you have to fulfill these different personalities or these different roles with your own projects, but not sort of be all of them at the same time, because the point that this uh, this writing teacher was making was that if the judge, you know, the the critical adjudicator is in the same room as the creative madman, right. then you've right. got a problem. You've got a tension there and, and they're constantly going to be arguing with each other in your head. So you need to separate right. out like which one is doing what.
1: Wow. Yeah. What's number four? Do you remember? So we have the we have the like the. The one that puts all the content on the board the oh yeah
0: well I was sort of um, ad lemming it. I didn't have the exact four I'll, I'll I'll see if I can bring it up here and if I another time we can talk about it yeah, that'd be
1: cool. yeah yeah, that'd be dope. I'd love that yeah
0: it was specifically for writers, but I suspect it could probably be adapted to, to other things as well of course right, right right.
1: Yeah, it's um very tricky when because the critic in particular the judge, wants to be wants to get in on the action from the very very beginning and it doesn't want to go away so mastering your ability to like let the judge come out at the right time man that is uh it's quite an achievement
0: right right okay yeah the last point i wanted to make about this is kind of related to the temple but just it's slightly adjacent to that another technique that i do that i find very helpful is to use distraction free devices or create distraction free setups uh, and specifically i'm talking about for example if your phone is connected to the internet it's going to ring with a notification when you get an email but if right. you disconnect your phone from the internet it won't notify you right so if we turn off our phone or leave our phone somewhere else or at least turn off notifications we will reduce that element of distraction and likewise if we're working on a machine if that machine is going to sort of ping with various information or or provide the opportunity to sort of stray off the path of focus into other directions, then you're liable to do that, right? But if you work on a machine, for example, I have an iPad that I use when I'm working at the coffee shop. And one thing that's nice about it, it, it could be seen as a downside, but actually it's a good thing for me, is when I work in an application, it fills up the screen and there's not room for anything else. And the iPad, I don't have it hooked up to any notifications or anything. So when I'm working on a writing project, my the screen is all text right, right. it's it's yeah. basically like a typewriter at that point and um there's nothing else to to do i'd have to make you know a decent amount of effort to put something else on the screen or do something else etc so mm-hmm. it really sort of forces me into it there's more effort required to leave the temple in that situation right yeah Than to just stay in it uh, and i think that's a that's a really useful technique in in creating that focus space
1: yeah. Yeah. It's smart. It's smart and it's mature to set up your environment, like practically speaking, to get your environment in order so that distractions are not coming at you so that there's only one thing filling the screen at the time.
0: So important. Yeah. Yeah. Okay, cool. I mean, yeah, I we, we run the gamut there. I mean, there's more, always more to say, but you know... Mm-hmm we don't want to, we don't want to go on for too long. And we will of course be able to do more episodes on, on this and similar topics. Um, but Brent, yeah, did you have any, yeah. anything more to add about focus for today?
1: No, man, no, we, that was the gamut. Yeah. We covered a <laughs> lot of ground there. That was amazing. Yeah. Holy shit. That yeah, there's so much me. Okay. Let me, let me see if I can chunk this all down or maybe like, you know, kind of like, you know, really reduce it to, uh, to its core. And, well, uh, let me know. How,
0: yeah, do that, and then also we. You remember we do our three takeaways, right? So maybe of we can course, do that after. Why course. don't you do your reduction, and then and then let's see what sure. we do. Sure. Right.
1: Yeah, yeah. So, so, it seems like to cultivate focus, focus being one pointedness, one pointedness, freedom from distraction, knowing what distractions are, recognizing them, and then and learning how to learning how to get rid of them or or refuse them or decline them and setting up an environment that works having clear objectives on what you're doing and and setting up your temple for for deep work that is increasingly deep over time and letting and letting your temple it's like you see it as a temple but you can also see it as a dojo you can see it as a place of training a training ground to move further and further into focus and and the more we can focus the, the better we can focus in these moments of deep work that's set aside for doing one thing, the better we can focus anywhere else in the goings-on of our life. That to me that does feel like that this feels like really like close to the core of what we're getting at.
0: Yeah, awesome. Awesome summary. Yeah. And for me, I should say, I haven't got this all figured out. This is still very much an ongoing project for me. I've I've really come on leaps and bounds recently, which is great, but uh I'm I'm definitely gonna have more to say about this um as time goes on as I figure myself more out. Um as well so it's yeah it's an ongoing process for me i don't know have you cracked your focus brent you figured it out
1: yes and no yeah so uh let's see i've cracked it in as much as i have enough tools to allow me to come back into focus if i'm having trouble focusing but it doesn't mean that i'm always able to focus amazingly at any one given time just that I'm able to like get the most out of any moment based on where I'm at. So for example, like I post a lot of content to Reddit and sometimes I'll be in this place where it just flows and it's beautiful. And then sometimes I'll run into stuff that's just kind of in the way, like a desire to procrastinate. And, uh, and then I use all of these tools, like a lot that we've been detailing here to just kind of get it done. And maybe maybe it flows beautifully, maybe it doesn't, but it, but I'm able to focus to the best of my ability to get it done in the very end so it like so there's i'm able to kind of maximize my ability to focus according to whatever's going on um whenever i'm in session with somebody uh, focus is 100 and um and over like on a more meta level with my life i feel like i'm very 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 focused like in my life like i'm very clear on my objectives i'm clear on my values i'm clear on what i'm doing and um and so i focus on a meta level too so I I intend to continue
0: to study this subject, but I'm also very pleased with where I'm at in it. Great, that's great. I think you you have a really good um, perspective on it as well. Like to balance out my sort of search for the perfect focus, you figured out what works for you uh, in yes. several ways, right? Yeah. yeah. Thank you. Okay, cool. Let's do our three takeaways. Um, the one I want mm-hmm. to say at the top, which we were talking about at the beginning, is that if you think you're lazy, or if you've been called lazy <laughs> all your life, you think you've been lazy, lazy, lazy. Maybe you're not just lazy. Maybe you are. <laughs> it's a chance you might be lazy. <laughs> you <could> be. <laughs> but, but I want to say for a lot of people out there who think they're lazy, there could be something else going on. Look at the options. I'm not going to tell you you're one thing or another. You should see professionals. Mm-hmm. Ask a psychiatrist. See a therapist. Even talk to friends and family about it. Explore the options. It might not just be that you're not pushing yourself hard enough there might be more going on. For me, this was a huge game changer and it could be for you too. So look into it, you know, look into the possibilities. What else is going on with you? Try and really get to the root of it. And um, maybe you're not just lazy. So
1: my second takeaway would be to become skillful at recognizing bamboozlery. And the most reliable way of detecting if you're being bamboozled is if your mind is in, is telling you not to show up at all. Or if it's trying to say that you can't, if it's trying to get you to just not do anything whatsoever and focus on, if you set time aside, if the time is now to focus and you have an objective and it's clear and you know what to do, it's not that you have to nail it hundred percent and it doesn't have to be perfect. It doesn't have to be anywhere near perfect. All that's required is for you to give what you have to give, to do what you are able to do. And as long as you do that without getting bamboozled out of it, then you will be you will, you can rest assured that you're cultivating your focus, that you're getting better at focus.
0: Cool, cool. All right. And um, takeaway number three, how could I not mention the temple, right? Of course. (laughs) Get to know your temple, understand the architecture of your temple, how to build your temple. I shouldn't say temple in the singular, temples you know, learn how, learn the temples that work for you and how to build them, how to find them in your life. And if you already know them and you're, you, you, you know exactly what I'm talking about and you use them every day, be confident in it and, and let that confidence just, you know, be in you as well. So, so we can build these temples and, and really get the most out of them if we, if we, yes. uh, if we do it the right way.
1: 100%. Beautiful. Beautiful.
0: Wow. What a, what a big episode to start us off with. I feel like that was <laughs> <No>. jam packed, Brent. <laughs> <laughs>
1: i'm proud of that it was good
0: i hope it's not information overload like i said i had even more in my script that i mocked up for this episode but it was too much and hopefully we went through it um in enough depth that there's enough to chew on here but not not information overload um yeah yeah yeah. like i said we will revisit these topics again i'm sure you know in in different episodes adjacent ideas and stuff so we will go through uh, other things in more depth again if you want to uh, talk to us, by the way, uh, you can get in touch with us. We are uh, on Twitter. We're at skyward underscore spiral, And you can email us at theskywardspiral at gmail.com. Let us know. What are your temples? How do you focus? What's your working environment? What's your worst distraction that you hate so much? Anything. We'd love to hear from you.
1: Yeah, yeah it'd be great to hear about that. Awesome. And
0: Brent, where can people find you?
1: Find me on YouTube. Search Brent Huris, Productivity Coach on YouTube. Uh, Find me on Reddit. I'm very, very active on Reddit. So it's just reddit.com slash you slash Brent Heuris, H-U-R-A-S. And uh, reach out and uh, I will talk to you.
0: And I finally kind of got into gear with my websites and stuff. So uh, as you may know, I'm a fiction writer. I write uh, an online fantasy web fiction at the moment. You can see everything I do at davidwhitechapel.com or if that's not working, davidwhitechapel.wordpress.com and um you can see the various things i write there right now i'm working on a website called breaking health you can check that out if you want thanks so much for listening what a f- big episode to start us off i'm so excited for the rest of the season Brad. <laughs> me too all right me too man it's been a pleasure Thank okay you. see you guys next time bye all right bye. thanks for listening to this episode of the skyward spiral This show was edited by myself, and the musical themes are brought to you by Batchberg Music. Information and resources on today's topic can be found in the episode description. Please rate and review the podcast on your preferred podcast app. It really helps. See you next time!